Welcome to Best Virginia, the podcast where we talk about the culture, history, and folklore of the wild, wonderful state of West Virginia. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Best Virginia. I'm your host, Jordan, and this time around, I have a special guest. I have Alex Durand, Director of Sales and Marketing for Greenbrier Valley Brewing Company. Alex is going to tell us all about the brewery, what they have to offer, and how they've been responding to the COVID-19 health crisis. Now, before we jump into my conversation with Alex, I just want to take a second to say how thankful I was to have him on the show. Alex was a great guest. And I hope you guys really enjoy this interview. We talk about some cool stuff. Also, before we get started, I just want to remind you guys to check out my social media. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Best Virginia Podcast. Also, I have some cool merch for you guys, and I'm always thinking of new ideas. Check that out on Teespring. You can find it on teespring.com and just look for the Best Virginia Podcast store. Also, If you want to be a part of the show or you have a cool story to tell or if you know another local business or someone that's doing some really cool things that are from West Virginia, have them reach out to me at bestvirginiapodcast at gmail.com. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Alex. uh, My name is Alexander Durand. I am the sales and marketing director for Greenbrier Valley Brewing Company. Um... Greenbrier Valley Brewing Company started uh, with two owners and two varieties. They started with um, Wild Trail Pale Ale and the Mothman Black IPA. All right, yeah, so um, we have, uh, we're very uh, can-focused. Just recently, within the last couple of years, a new owner took over. His name is Bill Heckle. He saw, um, he saw a different direction and saw ways of expanding and adhering to our distribution network. So right now, we are distributed in the state of Maryland, uh, parts of Virginia, and all of the state of West Virginia. So he bought a bunch of, he invested in, he was a very small shareholder, uh, bought out some shares, and then expanded our canning line, which is our main focus. We're a very can-centric brewery. Expanded it from going to, from eight cans a minute to about 36 cans a minute. You can get 40 cans a minute if you cut that it right. And he also expanded a bunch of the uh, tanks, so we're able to ferment more. And we also have a centrifuge, so we're able to spin the beer, remove some particulates, and have a better shelf life. Wow. So it sounds like a big uh, big advancement in the last few years. It has been. We've had the space, and we're finally growing into it, is the way I see it. The brewery, I mean, it's a, I'm not sure if you've ever been to the facility, but it's, it's a large, it's a warehouse, and the tanks that are put in finally are touching the ceiling, and a lot of the space that we have for brewing operations is pretty much maximized, so we're trying to brew as efficiently as possible with what we have. I like what you said about you're very can-focused. That's one of the things that always grabbed my eye about your all's beer was the cans. So what's the process with that? How does, uh, who designs the, the logos and the, who designs the cans? So our graphic designer, her name is Kristen Rahack. She's actually from Lewisburg, West Virginia, which is right outside of the brewery. Uh, she went to Shepherd and came back, and she took over the reins as, as a graphic designer. They were contracting out um, to a company in Virginia, and she came in, saw the brand. She actually made it part of like their focus. Uh, they did some brand uh, like tests and stuff and experiment with graphic design shepherd and she used one of the styles from Greenbrier Valley Brewing Company and she uh, I met her I think she was doing filming for another company and she mentioned that she was doing uh, graphic design and came on it was a huge fit she designs like everything for the brewery now in a very tight branding because of Kristen she uh, is able to deal with me and I like to stick very focused to we're very West Virginia centric as well. So these are going to be based off of West Virginia legends or West Virginia cryptids, folklore, uh, like the areas surrounding and recreational activities in West Virginia. 
or even like landmarks in West Virginia. Yeah, and that's I think that's awesome. You know, we the state does have a lot to offer and that's what I'm trying to get through with this show. Um Hell yeah. cuz there's I mean there are so many stories even just looking I'm always keeping my eye out for uh, different topics and a lot of the things that you all focus on for your your designs and your brews um are definitely on my list of topics to cover. I've already done an episode on Mothman. Um Zona's definitely on the on the list and you know all that stuff. The Hatfields and McCoys for sure. That's gonna be yeah. a, that's gonna be a, a job. Yeah, so I was wondering, are you like um so I, I talked to a bunch of people that are like so like you're kinda like cryptid and obviously like you appreciate the history of West Virginia. So are you like a researcher or are you more like a hunter? Like are you like more interested in like the history or like going out and like finding some kind of paranormal or learning about the paranormal to better to identify it? Like what kind of what kind of person or what kind of feel are you trying to pull out of this podcast, Gordon? Huh, that's something that kind of changes from time to time, man. You know, I, I, I'm a firm believer in keeping an open mind, and I okay. think that I think that kind of pairs the two. You know, if you have an open mind, you're able to see some of the more cryptid stuff and some of the more paranormal things. I I think that's uh, that's a big part of our history as well. Uh, you know, folklore and and stories. So yeah, I, like I agree. Like I'm. I heard this phrase the other day, like a card-carrying rationalist, and I always consider myself like a rationalist, but I love a good story. Like, you can, you hook me at a good fire or something, like, I love a good story, and then, like, a lot of these stories have been translated and, like, you know, carried down through history just by word of mouth, and, like, that's the one thing that I find very fascinating. It's very fortunate that I work for a company that kind of bases themselves off of, like, West Virginia history and like a, a strong Western Union uh, standpoint foundation. Absolutely, and I, I, I think that's amazing. Um, I'm not, I don't know how many uh, episodes you've had the chance to check out yet, but I did an episode on uh, the tale of Mamie Thurman. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that or not. Yeah, I listen to some of that. Um, I get to listen to some of it when I'm like um, working a little bit. Like a lot of my job, the less glamorous part of my job is like looking at spreadsheets and numbers and like going like cross-eyed but um podcasts like yours and i've been listening to a lot of like west virginia podcasts um keep me keep a little bit of sanity so i can like just kind of like lean back and listen i listened to the one about the Greenbrier and the mothman one which i think was your opening episode and then i listened to some of the one with bo kennedy i i feel like i have some of the one with um thurman in it in my head somewhere Okay, we definitely talked about Mamie in my interview with Bo. Bo and I go way back. I've known him for about 10 years, and we actually started our podcast at the... Whenever I first posted that I was starting one, he messaged me and was like, hey, man, I'm I'm planning on doing the same thing. So we uh, our episodes actually debuted on the same day. Um, so we're oh, bo- cool. we've both been kind of filling it out together. Um, mm-hmm. But So we talked about Mamie Thurman, and that's, it's a crazy story, man. It's It's got it all. We were talking about how... Uh, it blows our mind that it's not a big Hollywood movie yet because, you know, it's about this... I'll summarize it real quick. Um, this lady, she... Uh, it was during the 30s, so it was, it was a different time, and her and her husband just moved to the Logan area, and um, she was, you know, on the surface, she was this goody-two-shoes, big into the church and all that stuff, but she was uh, going to all these speakeasies and hooking up with all these guys and stuff and got herself involved in a bunch of different... A bunch of different scandals, and then they found her body. Uh, she'd been shot in the head twice, had her neck broken, and had her throat sl- uh, slit from ear to ear, and dumped over the side of a mountain. And wow. and there, a guy went to prison for it, but he was uh, this African American guy that was basically just a, a handyman for this rich guy that that was on like the he uh, held some kind of political office. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he they rented their house off of him, and he was. I, my personal opinion is that he definitely did it. Uh, he had a lot of the motive and stuff. Um, but she was having affairs with several different guys. And it's, it's a crazy story, man, if you ever get a chance to listen to it. Where's she from? Uh, she's from, well, she was originally from Kentucky uh, and moved to uh, moved to Logan um, and lived there for, I think it was six or seven years before she died. Hmm. Yeah, no, I'll have to revisit that one. Because I saw, I looked through it, um on Spotify, and I was like, okay, so I've listened to some of this one, and sometimes, man, like, I'm, like, in the zone or whatever, and, like, I can't process both things at the same time, but now I've, I've listened to quite a bit of your stuff, like, the Matewan one is definitely one that I wanted to, like, explore pretty deep. 
I'm doing that as part of a series that I'm going to space out, uh, like with the Cold Wars, mm-hmm. uh, because th- there's there's a pretty big overall story to tell there, and uh, it all kind of wraps up with the Battle of Blair Mountain. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that or not, but... Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I grew up at the foot of Blair Mountain. Uh, that's where I was originally born, and then we moved over across the line into Boone County. I have a lot of family who are associated with that, so it's it's always been a, it's always just a story I've been told and heard about. And you know, you go across the mountain, see the signs, and it, I there's just so much, so many stories to tell, man. Mm-hmm. So, I what I love about West Virginia is like there's like this like um, uh, they always talk about like a lot of stories I've heard from like old timers like about better times or like times that you can't even imagine. Like, like these terrible, terrible, like deep history. Like, even if you go into like the, the mines itself and like the, the mining industry, what's for me, it's like, those are the darkest stories over here in your life. Oh, yeah. And then, like, I don't know, you have like, but then there's also like this like romanticism. Yeah, and you go back and look at some of like the company houses and stuff and the, the company towns. Man, that was, that was living in the dirt house. <laughs> I know, and what did they have? Um, Oh, what they call it, script. Like yeah. everyone's paying grip, right? Yeah. Yeah, my, my grandpa and my dad have tons of old script because my dad or my grandpa actually grew up for a time in a, in a company house. And so mm-hmm. he has a lot of that stuff left over. And uh, But getting back to the, uh, I could talk about this stuff all day, so sorry if I get yeah, you off topic. <laughs> no, it's like I was just thinking, like, you're holding on to all this script, which wasn't worth a damn back in the day, and it <laughs> might be worth something one day. Oh, absolutely, man. And that's crazy. I was... Uh, when I was, I go into it a little bit in the Mate One episode because some of the stuff you'd pay a ridiculous amount. You'd yeah for what they would sell to you was not worth what you were paying. Yeah, commissary essentially. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, Play absolutely. Yeah. It's and, kind of the economy. Yeah, and it, it was, and if you got caught shopping otherwise, you were fired, and then you didn't have a place mm-hmm. to live, didn't have a yeah, place to put your milk. Yeah, I think that's like the definition of wage slavery right there. Yeah. It's that was crazy stuff. Um, but back to the brewery, man. Uh, kind of going right along with this. So each brew has its own story. You know, like this this Canazona sitting right in front of me tells a story yeah. about the Greenbrier Ghost. And you know, so one of my questions is: so what comes first when you're coming up with a new beer? So is there like a somebody just throw out like a story like Bat Boy, and then they design a flavor profile that reflects the name of that, or is it just kind of because the it seems to me like the the beers kind of go with the names. Yeah, no, absolutely. So like, yeah, that's a little bit of both. I'd say like sometimes. So like, we're a production facility, and with a production facility, we make you know varieties that are very consistent and that people want to drink. But there's always this itch, you know, of like, oh man, like I really like this style, or I want to do this, and it's a very collaborative effort. We we discuss it, and so we've got a. Uh, a couple of directors, we get a brewery director, uh, a facilities director, and myself. We kind of talk about, like, you know, like, what the market's looking for, what we're interested in, um, what kind of fits, like, our brand. And we've never delved into, like, a hazy IPA yet, even though it's, like, all the craze. We've always been kind of like this on the fringe. Like, not too many people were making, like, a black IPA or a... You know, like a, a Swartz beer that you were, or a black lager that we were trying to push hard in the market. The, if you just look at it, I mean, you could, I've got so many books and you can just like talk to anybody at the pub and you'll hear a story about West Virginia and it's kind of easy to pair it up. So like Bat Boy with the Weekly World News, we actually became a licensee because the Weekly World News had put out that it was found in the cave in Greenbrier County. And so we're talking about a bat boy, um, you know, it's dark and in the cave. Um, so a black lager, one style that we've not really brewed at the brewery before. And like one that, you know, is a pretty approachable style um, once you actually try it. So a lot of dark beers kind of scare people, thinking they're going to be really heavy. But like the second that they have a sip of it, they're like, oh, wow, this is like one of the lightest beers I've had, which is like the... The mischievousness of the brews is something that we definitely play off of, and it's really easy to kind of come back to our original like idea of branding, which is West Virginia. It's a very dense history and like tons of folklore and storytelling, like we were just discussing. 
Yeah, and I, I really like that. And I mean, y'all, I haven't, I've had most of y'all's brews, and well, there's. What's your favorite? Uh, I do really love the Mothman and Devil Ants. Those are both classics. So I probably got to go with those two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, those are pretty popular. I think Devil Ants is fifty. It's above fifty percent of our sales. Wow. I think that was the first beer I ever had from you guys. Ever? I've heard this before from so many people. Oh, it's the first beer I've ever had. Like, um, which I found it's like really interesting. Like, either like some people were like, "This is the first beer I ever had when I turned 21," <laughs> or like, "That's the first beer that I've ever had." It's definitely the most popular. I don't know if it's because of the branding or because I mean, it's a really solid IPA that um, people definitely talk about. Kind of like the stories within themselves. So, like, we based it off of the Hatfield McCoy story, which is dense. And like the the beer, I think is as good as the story. Yeah, I, and I it definitely seems like you all put a lot of thought into your beers, and I, I think that's great. Um, as opposed to just being you know just being in it for the money and just being in it for because it is a a lucrative market right now. There's a lot craft beer is blowing up like over the last ten years or so. Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially in West Virginia, because like West Virginia is like, and this is not derogatory, but they've always like I feel like West Virginia is like always up and coming but they're always just a little bit like five years behind time so like craft beer has been blowing up everywhere else and now like I think it's maybe just the mindset of like the salty of the earth of like oh okay well this actually is pretty good you know like it's um, not the super bitter beer like I associate with IPAs or whatever like and then there's like a sense of pride of like oh well this is like brewed right down the road or a couple counties away I think people in West Virginia have definitely latched on to it, which is why we keep it our main focus to be like West Virginia first. I don't know if you're allowed to talk about it or not, but do you guys have any new beers in the works? Okay, so we had, uh, in regards to like new beers, we had a whole schedule. Um, we were refining some of our seasonal brews. We have a test batch system in which we can like brew just like a few barrels of beer. So a barrel of beer roughly is about 31 gallons. We could brew like three and a half barrels, um, so about a hundred gallons, and we could experiment on it. You know, like explore, like you know, like scratch that itch of you know we're we're making tons and tons of devil ants, but like maybe I want to make like an ESB beer, and like the point of it was the staff members, like the production crew, had the opportunity to share what types of beers that they wanted to brew, and like explore like learning more of the process like if you had like a like, as a production facility we have a bunch of different jobs so a canning line worker one that like um either works the machine sets the machine up or puts pack techs like the little holders on the beer cans it's a wonderful opportunity to be like hey i have this style of beer like can i like could do you think we could brew it and like could i learn more about brewing a beer and we have the system in place to do this but as of yet, we've, we've only just like scratched the surface. We've been able to, we have a, a series called the Explorer series, which we were able to experiment with a couple different styles that we've not really put out before. Um, only sold in the tap room and allowed us to like, you know, like reflect on the beginnings of any brewery, which is like, you know, throwing yourself into it and seeing what happens. Having an understanding like in your mind's eye of this is what I want out of it. And then see the like your expectations versus the actual outcome, and then seeing how you can get closer to your outcome. So it's in place. We've experimented a little bit, but as it stands right now, with uh, the with the state of emergency still kind of like in place and certain restrictions in the state, draft is really really hard. If we were equipped, we could do like one-off cans and stuff like that. But as of right now, I don't really have. All right, all right. I'll give you something, George. Just because you reached out and you're like, it seems like you're a like-minded individual. We are working on something special. I would like to have produced more small batches and test batches and experimentation. But we are working on something special for an anniversary of one of our flagship beers. And it's coming up down the pipeline. And it's going to be a style that we've not necessarily messed around with before. Uh, there's been talks. This is just, you know, like part of the rumor mill, but there's been talks of a hazy. Like we've not done a hazy, or we've not really done an imperial IPA. So it might be a perfect marriage of those. We're trying to produce another variety, probably 
at the beginning of next year. Hmm, okay. I like the sound of that. I'll definitely have to keep my eye open. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, if you like Devil Lance, I think you'd probably enjoy this one, so definitely. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have to have to have to keep my eyes open, my ears to the ground. Um, so I appreciate you uh, giving us a little bit on that. That's pretty cool. Uh, so one of the other questions I wanted to ask you. So you mentioned like the state of emergency and all this stuff. So, uh, you know, that's been one of my big questions: is what changes have you guys had to make in response to all this? Because it's it's been a crazy time for everybody. The okay, so I get asked this question a lot, and I've been like kind of dwelling on it. And from a personal perspective, uh, like from what I've seen from the company, everybody throws out this like phrase, like pivot or whatever, but essentially what we had to do is like realize what our resources were, realize what we put out and what we could continue to put out. So our resources had become more resourceful. And being a can-centric brewery, we had to put all of our focus into cans. I think um, one of the breweries in West Virginia put it best, that kegs were dead and you couldn't you can rely on them because at any time it can be shut down. And I don't know if you've ever been to a brewery, but if you go into the cold room, there's these tons and tons and stacks and stacks of cans, but you're also going to see stacks and stacks of kegs. And if bars shut down, those kegs, you cannot, you can't really put them back into cans. Like the beer doesn't want to be beat up like that. So we had to understand what our market was, which is something that we always had, which is, very can forward. And we've partnered with some larger groups like Kroger, GoMart. GoMart has had a huge campaign for us. And Walmart and these larger, like I'm mom and pop like all day. And then, but when they can't sell in smaller bars, they can't sell like a can like every few days or a few cans in a night. The, I mean, the bars are suffering obviously, but like we can't rely on like draft sales either. So, We've had to make um, some partnerships with some larger companies to push and product. Still keeping all of our customer service with any business that is able to operate currently. Uh, the honestly, Jordan, the main thing that I've seen is like small business is fragile. It is just like delicate thing, and like I think people and I, I do the same thing. Like I think like. Oh yeah, like I go to this one place in town and we have these really good bagels and like, and then when I can't get that bagel, like there's like this commodity that I thought was there. I was like, oh yeah, I can get this bagel at this place like every Wednesday and then I can't get it. And then that place, like they're suffering in this like crazy, crazy way where they have to rely on like government funding or have to rely on, you know, like the community come together in a way where they really can't have the community come together because it can't even be open. And the same thing with like the bars. And the, the small business structure is, I think like one of the main things that I've been like thinking about of how this, the impact of the state of emergency has really affected like our business and those of others. Because our business is just not our business. Our business is to provide really good customer service to all of the accounts that sell our beer. Like we're, we wanna be face to face with their customers just as well. And like talking to them about like, stories and why they like it and having them have like a real customer like impact and they're like okay well like I had Devil Ants for the first time or Old Randall for the first time and there was the, a representative from the brewery was there talking to me about it and I learned more I felt like I learned more than I drank like this the structure of small business is such a fragile fragile thing like if we don't take notice to this of like all these places that we appreciated, like even like going to the grocery store, like you can't get like certain things when you go to the grocery store. And like thinking about all these local farmers that are like growing things and they're not, they weren't prepared because their growing season was like well before any of this state of emergency. Like if they could have been, if they would have known like, hey, we wouldn't have had these things, then like they could have like bolstered like this thing that we take advantage of, which is instant access. This this economy that we're living in right now, like I think hopefully it like kind of reflects back. You can look at it and like, okay, I can't get these things. Like any beer festival in West Virginia that you've ever gone to always donates back to a community like event, like some kind of nonprofit. Like anyone. So like every sample or beer that you're like like having at a beer festival, there's always a nonprofit associated with it. And that's probably the biggest loss that I feel like we've had is not being able to give back to the community 
through what we do naturally, like having like these events to bring community together. We we were trying to do a kite festival over at Spruce Knob, which would have been like rad to have like flying these kites and like people hanging out, like it's a family event. There's some beer there, like spaghetti dinner and stuff like that. And like it raises money for uh, camping, like uh, essentially it raises money for people that don't have like camping gear and like it allows kids to go on like camping trips and like learn more about the outdoors, which is what, what our brand represents. And we can't like do that anymore. So that's, I mean, honestly, that our impact on like the local community is probably the, the worst thing that's happened out of this. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's pretty eye opening, man. I, I never really thought about, I, I guess I was kind of looking at it from the flip side, you know, the, the effects of the company, you know, from the community rather than the other way around. Um, no, we give, I feel, I want to give back as much as the community. Like if these people come in to our tap room or hanging out and having pints, like you can't just take, right? It shows the humanity. Um, something that sometimes gets uh, kind of dissociated from larger businesses. Um, and I think that's where small businesses and, you know, these uh, local businesses I think that's where they thrive is the connection to the community and being able to look at that from, you know, from this kind of unprecedented problem that we have that we're all facing that really kind of gets in the way of that. Yeah, it's not really that got in the way, it just stopped it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we were already doing this. Like, I remember, like, we did an event last year, and I wish we could have done it this year. It was like an oyster event, and, like, we had, like, a, a bowl and then we had like crawfish bowl or a low country bowl i'm sorry and then we were shucking some oysters and we were raising money for the local school which like you think like beer and schools but like the greenbrier community school like they put on this fundraiser and we had the best time like we closed down this parking lot of the bank and everybody there's music and like that's like the biggest loss is not being able to like share on a one-on-one experience with these people that are huge supporters of what you do. It's kind of like musicians, I think. Like musicians can't like you know talk to somebody after they get off stage anymore. Yeah, that's heartbreaking, man. Like being able to look at it from get to get an out to get an inside perspective because you know you see everybody sees all these talking heads on TV about all this and you know, given general or vague statements about how it's affected the community and stuff, but being able to see, to break it down and really kind of magnify in on the one-on-one interactions that we're missing out on. I think that's a big, and that's something like I see in my work too. Like people, people miss just socializing with people no matter what yeah. the capacity is. No, it's like, it's very different. And like, especially like, I got three kids. So like being around these children, and thinking like, well, they can't like hang out at the playground. Like, drive to a playground. It's like, sorry, it's closed. But it's a really nice looking playground, isn't it? <laughs> like, like thinking, about, I don't know. Like, there's all these people that go to like watering holes. It's like, oh man, it's a really nice looking bar. It's like walking on or whatever. Like, there's this like micro element of like, what we do is we produce uh, beer that people can enjoy at home, at a pub, or at our brewery. And but what that does too is it creates on a, like a macro element is you have all these people that have some kind of tie back to their state and they can see, like, this is Devlin. And I've met so many people that are like, you know, I'm a Hatfield or like, you know, I'm a McCoy. And like, they have this pride of like, you know, associated with this brand. And it's kind of like lost, like this, it's lost because like they're carrying on like the story, but we don't have the same method of execution. So, like, what we have now is, like, like, I can't stand in a Kroger and be like, hey, like, try our beer. Hey, try our beer. Would you like a sample of this? You know? Like, I can't reach out to anybody like that. And I have to just, luckily, we've been positioned in a place where people know these brands and they are supporting us. And I hope that they are the same kind of people that are supporting all kinds of local business because, again, they are very, very fragile. That's some, I mean, I'm not, not a businessman by any stretch. But that's something I've kind of been thinking about, you know, because I, I, t- I do talk to some business owners and just, you know, being here in Huntington, in the Huntington area, there are lots of local and small businesses yeah. and they pop up left and right. And, you know, just walking down the street, I, I'm looking at some, because I work downtown, 
So yeah. there are businesses, it seems like every week there's a new one opening or closing. Um, yeah, but absolutely. you know, in my head, I'm like, man, this would be like during all, like this spring would have been a terrible time. That wasn't them just like trying to open within a couple months. That was them working like a year in advance, like putting a business plan together, looking at the economy and then looking at the community and being like, this community will support my business. I, and then some of them think about tourism, but like, that's exactly what it is. It's not just like, it would have been terrible for them to have planned ahead and like done the due diligence of saying like, I'm gonna like open up and this is like, these are my demographics, this is my location, and then it gets shut down. You know, like to talk about Huntington, it was like I would go to work and there was all these signs that like support local. And I was like, okay, like I'll support local, but there wasn't like really any local businesses and everything like shut down at like four o'clock. <laughs> and, and I was like, okay, well, like, that's cool. Like, I'll support local. And then, like, I started seeing all these local businesses start to pop up. Like, Summit Beer Station, one of my favorite places. He started in the smallest place. And the capacity is, like, 12 people by the fire marshal. <laughs> and, like, now he has a place, like, in a really nice area. Or closer, more, closer to down, like, historic downtown. And he can serve, like, a lot more than 12. And then there was Brand Yourself, which is a t-shirt company. And there was Bottle and Wedge, which had left. There was a uh, Butter It Up, which Butter It Up now moved to that fancy new market area. Like, look at the ones that expanded, which is the local businesses. Like, Huntington is, like, one of my favorite areas. Honestly, Jordan, I feel like when I left Huntington, it was like, all right, Alex is gone. Like, rolling the food trucks. Like, you get a brewery. You get a taco shop. <laughs> like, it was, like, all of this huge injection. Like, everybody's like, all right, let's, like, let's get this rolling. I, like, I just left, like, right on the cusp. Oh, yeah. I mean, it seems like more or less about 10 years. Um, yeah. Since I graduated, I moved up here for to go to Marshall. And, I mean, when I, I remember when I first came to Marshall, there wasn't a fraction of the small, like, of the local businesses and stuff. And Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I mean, just in the last few years, I'd say I'd say probably five to six left, years. Because huh? I left. Because I left. <laughs> well, you might need to come back and leave again after all this clears up. <laughs> My mom still lives there. I visit every now and then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, just come for a long weekend and then and then make a grand exit, and then maybe everything yeah. will be able to open back up. <laughs> yeah. But mainly, just one more thing to to talk about real quick. Uh, if you got if you got a few minutes, Penny, we're all in this together. You know, we got a, a big story to tell, and lots and lots of other ones. So I, I do think I think it's important to to be able to do this all together because it's a big. Yeah. There's a lot to tell, and we get, we got a bad rap for everyone. For, it seems like for to everyone else. And kind of going back to what you were saying a little bit ago about all the events and stuff, and being able to connect with the community. What's that looking like for the future? So events are like my favorite thing, Jordan. <laughs> like I love, I love. Like, there's the type A part of me. I, I feel like I'm very type A, where it's like, oh, I love organizing things, but, like, I have the messiest desk. Like, it's, like, the seventh layer of hell. Um, but, like, there's this, like, the events, one, you're actually engaging with the community and figuring out, like, what they want, what they like. And, like, we do stuff out of state, too. And it's nice to see. Like, I love to see, it's, like, bittersweet, I guess. I love to see these transplants that have left the state I guess it's like our biggest export is like people leaving the state of West Virginia. But like seeing them and like, oh yeah, I lived in here or whatever. And like I lived here and like I love this beer. And like, I, oh yeah, I saw a Mothman one time when I was driving through a tunnel. And like, like that, that is like the best. So event planning and going back to being able to do events with people and have that one-on-one is where we have to be. Being able to connect with our consumers because it's one thing that we are able to do that a lot of other breweries cannot do and another thing that we'd be able to bring back hopefully would be that with events it's not just like large events and like having a festival be like at a local pub and having you know like representation from the brewery where you know like you're actually meeting with somebody that really works at the facility and knows the product and cares about West Virginia. And hopefully we can get back to, there's never going to be like a state of like normalcy or whatever, or like, um, 
it's always going to be a little bit different. I mean, the things are always going to be like this tangent and a little fringe of like fear. And it's going to be a while. But ideally, hopefully, we can get back to in the future just being able to share stories and talking about what we enjoy. And honestly, man, like it's going to sound really savvy, but like hugging each other. Like, that's one of my favorite things at beer festivals. Like, there's like this really sweet spot where like, you know, like people are like hanging out, doing tastings, and there's this really sweet spot where everybody's like, man, like I love this beer, and I'm like, hug you. Or like, you talk to them, and it's like, I'm gonna give you a hug. And then like, it turns into like, I don't know, like vomit or whatever sometimes, but like, there's like this huge embrace that happens that's like, as it's very distant and like, it's missing from, like, cheersing a beer, I guess, is like, against, I mean, you shouldn't be able to cheer beer anymore. Like, because it's like contact or whatever. Yeah, I, one of the big things that at the place where I work right now, a lot of what we talk about boils down to connection, and I think that's a big deal for humans in general. I mean, not not only what I think, but there's a lot of proof behind that. We need connection. Yeah, we starve for creatures. connection. Yeah, absolutely. But just that. And beer. <laughs> beer is like the bridge of like, I feel like some of the best ideas, some of the best and maybe worst ideas have happened. Like, some of the best ideas, like, the social connection happens with, like, a little, like, you loosen up. So I had to crack them off, man, uh, you know, like, loosen up and talk to you like a human being. Instead of, like, yes, no. <laughs> yeah, and that's how, I mean, I laugh, but that's, things have gotten, I don't know, it's just a weird time that we're living in, and that, that lack of connection or that just change of connection. Uh, I went to shake a guy's hand today and caught myself, like, I, I had to apologize because I was at work and I, I went to shake his hand and I was like, oh, sorry, man. And that's... Yeah, I know. Oh, I'm doing the same thing and I'm going to shake him their hand and I give them that, like, wet fish handshake because, like, I didn't really... I was like, oh, no, I shouldn't be doing this. And you, like, kind of, like, barely grab their hand and then it's like, oh, no, we shouldn't be doing this and we shouldn't be doing this like this. <laughs> oh. Right, yeah. and I, I... My hope is we've already kind of changed up what normal is and it's already ingrained in our head like things are things are more fragile than we think they are and that's exactly that's a big that's a big shot to our confidence like man like i didn't realize how much i missed shaking people's hands or seeing their mouths when they talk (laughs) exactly yeah it's like that's that's something that's gotten me so hard like i was trying i I went down to roanoke and like i was masked up i got like uh temperature checked 14 times in one day and like I was like trying to talk to people and like I mean I'm not like the prettiest guy around but like it's nice to be able to like they can see my like reaction or like whether or not I've got like a smirky grin or a smile on my face when I talk to them like I've got a very dry humor so like them just like hearing my voice I mean you lose so much body language without being able to see the mouth movement and like I don't know, like it is, it's, like you said, it's very, very weird times, and the effect will be pretty long-lasting. It's going to be like, oh, these were better times, you know? It's like the same thing about storytelling, like, these were better times, and like, oh yeah, they, like, well, it wasn't as bad as this, you know? Like, COVID essentially is going to be like, oh, there were better times, and it's not going to be bad as this. Some, I was on your all's website the other day, and I noticed, I was looking at events and things like that, and I noticed that you guys had the Rock the Trail scavenger hunt going on. Yeah. So we had, uh, we worked with uh, Rock 95, which is a local uh, radio station in Greenbar County. Um, Scott and Scott from Rock 95 reached out, and they had this really cool idea about, like, so like we're talking about social distancing, and like nobody can social distance as well as the Sasquatch. So we talked about like hiding this rock on the trail. And um, we actually saw Seth watch when we were on the trail. Um, he was very happy. I guess maybe he was a little bit lonely too. And maybe social distancing gets the best of all of us. And we hit this rock and man, so the guy that found this was the best. So he was like, I think he was in the National Guard and he would like hike up this trail. So like we had clues everywhere. Um, like I took a bunch of pictures and we were going to release a clue every week and like people went out and they were calling the radio station trying to find out if the rock had been found and if like if they could give another clue we were trying to be very like meticulous like hey this is the clue 
like go up there, go out hiking. And it was kind of to kind of bring one our branding. Like our our motto is to get out, explore, and bring beer. So like we want people to appreciate what's happening in the state of West Virginia. We want to like them to appreciate these natural beauties. And the trail that we headed on is awesome. Like, there was, like, it has everything that you would want on a trail. Like you can go swimming, you can go camping, you can go hiking, you can go fishing. And this guy hiked it like over and over again. Like he said he hiked like one day he hiked like ten miles and the whole trail is only five. <laughs> so he's going back and forth trying to find this rock. And then I think it was on week three, I released a clue or the radio station released a clue that I put together that was um, a fallen tree and this like collection of sticks, like a collection of fallen trees. The team was like, I know what that spot is. And I was trying to be really nice and like hide it really close to the trail. And he was like hiking back and forth and he found it. And I think he said it was like, he went out one night, it was like maybe like eight o'clock and it was raining. Like he probably put 40 miles on this trail trying to find this rock. But this kind of shows like what, you know, what normally happens is you have this, we were working on this event that one, brought people to social distance but still like have a fulfilling existence. We go out and hike, appreciate beauty, take a moment and breathe and have fun. And the local community, they donated so many things. We had uh, a gift card from a fine meats company that has um, a cattle farm in the area. We had a company uh, that does, they did a water bottle uh, for the event. Uh, a local pizza shop did a gift card. Like all these people, they want to give to good causes and like they want to band together and like, support each other. And what we did, we actually had the opportunity because it was an outdoor event, essentially, that you know, didn't require like mass group of people. And we're able to still incorporate all of these members of the community. And he was so stoked uh, to find it. And like we hung out at the radio station for a while and a uh, really good dude. He uh, was super pumped and was wanting us to do another one. So I think, I think the Rocket Trail thing should happen again. It was actually a trail that we were going to put into our test batch system. So we reached out to all of the employees of the company instead of, we're very like outdoors centric people. And they love hiking. They love the beauty of West Virginia. And we reached out to them and said like, what's your favorite trail? And we were going to make a beer off of every trail. And the Blue Bend Loop, which is like right on the tip of the Monongahela. And we, there were so many like awesome trails. What it was like, you could you had this opportunity to try a new beer, maybe grab a growler, um, take it with you, and go out camping or hiking, and like maybe learn about the area that you live in. Like education is the biggest part of beer. Like before the big beer movement that you talked about, like beer is this like huge thing now. Like the way that we got here was like education and like talking to people and saying. Like, okay, so, like, this is an IPA, but there's, like, this many different styles of IPAs. What kind of beer do you like to drink? Do you like light beer? Have you ever had dark beer? Like, all of this is education. And that's one thing that, like, we were, we try to do with a lot of our varieties because a lot of them are, like, all over the place. That's um, a pretty wide spectrum. That's also what we want to do with our brand. Cause sometimes people don't know about the Hatfield McCoy's Butte. But if you can pick up a can of Devil Ann's or Randall, you'd have a little snippet of the history. Like you said, the education about your about your surroundings and your area. Even in my research for these podcasts and stuff, I've I've found out all kinds of crazy stuff just from around me that I had never heard of or had kind of heard of, but didn't really know the story behind. And you know, I just I think it's awesome. And that event, I th- I thought that was so cool whenever I saw it on your all site. Because uh, I was like, this is thinking outside the box. And yeah. that's what we've had to do a lot of lately. And I just think that's really cool to get people involved. And it, it sounds really cool. It sounds like a lot of people were getting involved. And, mm-hmm. you know, to go out and spend 40 miles on this trail looking for a rock. But it's more than that. You know, being able to connect and being able, you know, like... I don't know if it, this was the case, but just thinking, like, being able to say, like, I really like these, these this beer. I really like what these local companies are doing, this local radio station. 
And so I, this is cool. It's something to keep me busy and something to keep me, you know, being responsible and safe, and but also have some fun. Yeah, I don't think anybody, and I'm not, I don't know, but like, I don't think anybody, like, the humility of it was awesome. Because the response was like, hey, congratulations. Like, nobody was like, oh, that's stupid. Like, everybody was like, oh, that was really fun. I hope you get to do this again so I can get out and do this again. Like, it was awesome to be a part of this, and like shout out to Rock 95 for having this great idea, and thinking of us for like uh, this cave branding opportunity, and then being able to bring in a larger community group. Yeah, I think I think this. It, you guys are doing some great work, and you know, shout out to all those people. Thank you for getting involved in all that, and and all of you guys for for trying to get the community out there, but also get other communities involved in ours. I think that's really cool. Yeah, so every beer that we sell out of state brings some kind of, like, understanding to what the state of West Virginia is. Like, that's the way I like to think about it. Like, every time I get to talk about a brand that we sell, like, Zen of Revenge, they're like, oh, okay, cool, let's take a look beer. And, like, tell them about the, like, the flavor profile. And it's like, well, like, have you ever heard the story of, like, like a ghost, like, being a part of, like, solving her own murder? You're like, what? <laughs> and, like... Or, like, yeah, there's, like, there's this giant moth creature that, like, was important for, like, this bridge collapsing. It's, like, this looming figure. And, like, Mothman's, like, probably the most recognizable figure of West Virginia, I think. Like, uh, that, that one, like, extends far beyond um, a lot of other ones. And oh, it's yeah. a very positive one in a way, where it's, like, there's some creepy stuff that happens in West Virginia. Right, it helps, and that's one of the things that helps get our get our culture out there. And I, I think it's really cool. Speaking of the Mothman, one of my favorite podcasts is those conspiracy guys. I don't know if you're familiar with them. It's a couple couple Irish guys, and they did an episode on Mothman. And I just oh cool yeah, and uh, you know they they do deep dives in a lot of their episode, most of their episodes. They their episodes are like uh, anywhere from two to five or six hours long. And wow. So they spent like three hours talking about Mothman, and they also have an episode on the Solder Children from Fayetteville. Yeah, I, I just think that's so cool that some of our stuff gets out there that far. Um, but I, I want to help contribute to more of that. And it yeah, sounds I think like you, you are, guys, Jordan. I hope so. And I and I appreciate it. Like, just keep it going, man. I keep doing your thing, and like, yeah, like you have the best perspective on like what it is the state has to offer you're hearing a real point of view and like a personal it's like i was talking about like that personal account like you're hearing it and you're allowing that story to be told in different outlets like i very much appreciate what you're doing jordan i appreciate that man and i I like what you guys are doing too it's same thing in a different way except you guys got beer i don't have any beer to give people (laughs) no you got stories i love stories We'll bring the beer, and then you bring the stories, man. So that's all you need to do. Hey, that sounds like a good time to me. Yeah, hey, um, so I want to I wanna ask. So, being a uh, cryptid follower and a pretty well-versed person in West Virginia, if we could make a beer based off of a cryptid or a local legend or, I guess, a once-lived legend, what would you like to see? Oh, I was hoping you would ask me this. Uh, I think... I would love to see a Mamie beer, a Mamie Thurman beer, man. Mamie, okay. Uh, All right, I want to do some research on Mamie. Yeah, maybe even like how you have, and this is just me talking, uh, but like how you guys have Old Randall and uh, Devil Ants, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I think it because it, the story is pretty similar to Zona's uh, yeah. in a lot of ways, as far as like the the haunting after her death and and just the like all that stuff and kind of being killed by her uh allegedly uh being killed by her by her man so i think i don't know if you could pair that up somehow uh Mm. but i think there's a lot there's a lot of story there um and i it's something kind of hits home to me too because it's it was just right down the road from where i well not right down the road but with it was a drives away from where i grew up and that's the story i always heard growing up and it's it's something that when people hear they're like man that's that's brutal. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a little dark history. Yeah, no, okay. So maybe I'll yak at you about it. Because uh, I'm always looking for something. Like, because uh, right now we can't really, like, play with too many styles. I mean, I'd love to have, like, 
12 cans of like all these different like West Virginia local history and like folklore and cryptids like out there in the market and like season releases whatever we're always looking like that I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to call you back and uh, pick your brain I'll listen to I'll, I'll listen to that podcast again and like give it like a proper listen and okay. like maybe do some research one that I've been wanting to do is the Flatwoods Monster which I think is gaining some esteem in the state of West Virginia but now I'll look into Mamie and okay. uh, I'll be thinking about some style and yeah. uh, like the West Virginia history is definitely something that we always want to keep apart like we're going to be West Virginia based as long as this company survives yeah absolutely. And I, that's amazing man um, yeah anytime you want to throw out a Mamie beer hit me up uh you know, and also the Flatwoods Monster. That that was uh, I had this written down. I was like, if he asks me, or if this comes up, <laughs> this is what I want to say. Uh, and that was that was a number two. Um, yeah. But I, I do think uh, you know, the story of Mamie Thurman's a little a little less known. Um, mm-hmm. So that could be kind of cool. I always like looking at stuff on the fringe and kind of stuff that's not as well known uh, oh yeah absolutely i always struggle uh to decide whether i'm going to do like an obscure topic or like a more well-known topic so i try to go back and forth between between those things but, but uh you know I'm, I'm really into obscure stuff and i love always having a story that that no one knows yeah no absolutely man it's like um education like educating people that are around you and like um uh, keeping these stories alive essentially man it's like um stuff like this is like the building of a partnership and a relationship like this is like symbiotic you know like this is we're like you said we're in this together but we've, we've always been in this together like it's just like making these connections and like building on top of them i do yeah i appreciate it and that's that's what i, I hope to build with all these people that i'm working on this with is relationships and you know a symbiotic relationship because yeah we're all in this together for sure and everybody's got their own stories to tell. Yeah, man. That's what you're doing, Jordan. I'm trying, man. I, I appreciate you coming on here today, and I'll, I we'll definitely stay in touch. Okay, well, thank you very much, Jordan. All right, thank you. All right, Best Virginians, that's it for today's episode. I want to thank you all for tuning in, and I'll see you next time. Stay wild and stay wonderful. <laughs>